Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I am an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you like ag podcasts and vlogs and blogs, head over to farmruralag.com. Just released the brand new Ag Now magazine, so check that out as well. We are in the middle. This is our third episode of our series, Sustainability at Scale. If you haven't already, I highly recommend you go back to episode 99 and listen to my interview with Jason Mock about intercropping and nutrient management and the sharing economy of manure which hopefully that intrigues you to go check that out. And then, of course, episode 100 with David Perry, the CEO of Indigo Ag. Uh, Here in episode three, we are going to take a little bit of a different turn into the world of consumers. Specifically, I wanted to have someone on the show that could speak directly to trying to balance consumer demands with producer realities. I think The word sustainability a lot of times gets lost in translation somewhere between consumers who are removed from their food production and producers who have to face the realities of how we get this done as efficiently as possible, but of course, as sustainably as possible. So very pleased to have on the show today, Ryan Ciroli. Ryan is the Senior Director of Agriculture uh, for Danone North America. Ryan oversees agricultural sustainability and upstream sourcing of feed and forage inputs in partnership with Danone's dairy producer suppliers. So if you've been in the dairy aisle and you're a yogurt fan, I'm sure you have heard of Danone in the past. So we get to talk to Ryan about um, the Danone Pledge, which uh, deals in sustainability, uh, specifically with things like soil health and animal husbandry um, and animal welfare. And we kind of cover the gamut. I think what's interesting about Ryan's job is he has to maintain loyalty from his suppliers. They work directly with uh, suppliers of dairy products, as well as the realities of consumer demands. What does a consumer want? And I was curious kind of how they execute on that and and how they work with both sides when maybe they're not always in full alignment on what they want. So I enjoyed this interview. I think you will too. Here is Ryan Ciroli, the Senior Director of Agriculture for Danone North America. It's actually fairly new, uh, just in the last uh, really couple of years, uh, since really since about the announcement of our Danone Pledge. Um, and, and kind of the evolution of the way we source milk and, and the journey we've been on. Um, we've created the team that, that I lead today, which is, um, you know, uh, this director of agriculture and, and the agriculture team. And, and we really focus on uh, upstream uh, agriculture. So everything upstream of our dairy farms. Um, so things like uh, the, working with the crop growers that are providing feed uh, into the dairies. Um, working with the feed suppliers, uh, working on sustainable agriculture, uh, working on kind of really delivering on uh, the sustainable agriculture side of the Dana Pledge um, or, or things like non-GMO project uh, verified and being able to help deliver that. So uh, really fairly new, um, 
but but part of the evolution of how we source milk and and the journey we're on to go kind of deeper into the supply chain. Great, and I, I want to dive into several of those uh, in this show, but for, for starters, if, if you could just provide the audience a little bit about your background. Sure. So um, I am a, I'm, I'm an ag guy. <laughs> My whole career has been uh, really in, in agriculture. Um, originally from the, the mid-Atlantic region, I have a, uh, actually an undergrad degree in animal science from Virginia Tech and uh, a master's degree in, in uh, food and resource economics from the University of Delaware. Um, but I've done everything from farm management so managing a, a beef and grain and, and hay operation in Maryland uh, to dairy nutrition um, to, to all sides of the dairy industry across the U.S. Um, and uh, working on dairy supply chain initiatives um, and now being able to be part of a pretty cool company like uh, Denone Wave uh, on the, the consumer facing side. So always farmer facing, always ag uh, related and, and really have just gotten to experience the whole value chain. So it's been a a great journey for me personally. And you mentioned earlier that uh, Dan and Pledge, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on what exactly that is and what that means? Yeah. So um, the Dan and Pledge uh, we announced in 2016 and, and, and it was really about um, our, our pledge is Dan's commitment uh, to, to a range of, of progressive practices that are, that are really focused on um, three key pillars. And those are sustainable agriculture, uh, transparency and, and naturality. And ultimately, that, that just gives us the ability to offer consumers just more of what they want in, in terms of yogurt choices. It was sustainability or sustainable agriculture transparency. And then the third one was naturality. Is that right? Yep. So looking at really more um, natural ingredients, so fewer ingredients in our yogurts and, and making sure that what ingredients are there are, are non-artificial. So so trying to – are cleaner labels and, and, and fewer ingredients. Okay. And, and um, break down, if you would, your part in that pledge as far as how you, how you go about what that looks like day to day, day to day, how you kind of look at success and how you measure it over time. Yeah. So for uh, myself personally and, and my team, um, the bulk of our effort is going to be around uh, a couple of aspects. One is for sure the sustainable agriculture piece, um, which we have um, several different initiatives. Um, so really looking at uh, that, the, the key pieces of that are, uh, animal welfare. So as we think about, uh, for us, we, uh, our farms, uh, or better than 90% of the farms we source milk from have uh, our, our validus uh, third-party animal welfare certified. Um, so we've been on that journey for oh, greater than five years now. Um, but the other big area of emphasis is really around uh, soil. And so as we seek to improve biodiversity um, on farms, in, in improving soil health, uh, improving uh, water, both quality and quantity, um, and, and, and looking at carbon. So how do we uh, sequester more carbon uh, or reduce our, our carbon footprint um, through, uh, through agriculture, um, where we have a lot of initiatives going on in those areas today. Um, the other area that we would be working on is, um, you know, we've, we've committed by the end of, of 2018 for uh, three of our flagship brands. So that would be uh, Dan and Oikos and Danimals. Um, that we will be offering uh, non-GMO project verified for those, which means roughly uh, 50% of our conventional milk supply uh, will come from from cows fed non-GMO feed by by the end of this year. Okay, and, and what's that look like in practice? I, I'm really intrigued because I know you mentioned earlier how you're not only working with your suppliers, your milk suppliers, but actually the people who supply them. Um, and, and 
how does that kind of work in real in kind of everyday life? Because I would think if I'm a farmer and I'm selling to a dairy and all of a sudden their customer kind of wants to, you know, come over and talk to me, I'm kind of wondering what's, what's going on here. So how, how's that exactly work? So we don't have a traditional supply chain, if you will. Um, I think if, if you look back over the last, a little over six years ago, we started uh, sourcing milk directly from uh, a few of our dairy farms and that's really expanded to uh, the vast, virtually all of our milk today we source directly. Um, and within that, um, we had also started uh, offering a new model to um, a, a significant amount of our milk supply to to those dairy producers where they get paid a, or we enter into what is a, a it's a cost plus arrangement. So they get their true cost of production uh, plus a guaranteed margin or, or profitability for, for a long horizon. Um, and, and that's worked really well, right? And, and, and by doing that, we create um, a, essentially a true partnership with, with um, many of our dairy producers. And, and through that, you know, it's very transparent, it's very open, um, and it is very partnership-based. And so we already have that level of trust, um, that level of partnership mentality, so that when we want to try something new, right? So if we want to explore uh, non-GMO, if we want to explore soil health, um, we don't just do it. We go to our producers first, right? We sit down with our dairy farmers and we say, you know, this is something we're exploring. This is something we're thinking about. Uh, we think our consumers care. Um, what do you think? How would we do it? Are you on board with it? And and through that, you know, the vast majority of the time, they're, they're usually willing to try things with us, right? Or help craft where we go. And so once we once we start that, you know, they have the relationships, obviously, with their growers who are providing them feed or forage or, or with their feed suppliers. Um, and, and through that, with the, the, the relationship evolves, right? Or that creates the ability for us to sit down and have a discussion. So it's, it's not us just approaching a farmer who's never worked with us before, knows nothing about what we do, and just looking to transact. But rather, it's part of the bigger picture about how we source milk, um, that the brands that they touch, and, 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 and their interest in being part of this, this bigger partnership of, of what we do. And so it's really enabled us to, to, to take on things like soil health or take on things like non-GMO um, and, and do it in a way that's, that's not just transactional, but really about um, the whole of the supply chain and, and, and what we want to achieve. That's very interesting. And I, for, for those maybe not from the, the dairy industry or, or not very familiar with it, your, your cost plus arrangement, it sounds like, you know, maybe, maybe um, perhaps other dairies might go through a, this boom and bust cycle of really great margins and, and really negative margins. And what you're doing is kind of smoothing that out. So they're, they're, they have more assurances that they can consistently make money over time. Am I understanding that right? That's correct. And, and, you know, that was really a, the impetus for all of us, right? It's, it creates a win-win opportunity where we take out the, the volatility, right? We, we take out the boom and bust cycles. And instead, we, we, we get back to something that's uh, fair and stable returns for everybody, right? It works well for us. It works great for the farmers. It's not for everybody. Uh, not all producers like this or, or want that. Um, but for those that do, um, it, it's really enabled us to, to develop a great relationship. Um, it's allowed them to have very stable and, and, and fair returns back to their business. Um, and it allows them to operate, you know, uh, thinking about the long term instead of worrying about whether or not they may or may not be in business, you know, next quarter or next year. Um, and I think when given the given the state of the industry right now, when, <laughs> across right. all agriculture, um, you know, it's it's a really tough time. Right? It has been for the last few years. And I think um, it's very rewarding to see um, just how solid our producers are. And realizing they may give up some of the upside on the really boom years, um, they're definitely not um, going backwards in the down years like right now. So 
that that also has enabled us to have those conversations with um, you know the crop growers who see this as a way to maybe diversify their operation or or are also recognize that the stability uh, and that higher return concept really resonates with them. So it, it it just gives us the opportunity to explore more than you know it's uh, the economic side of things as well as you know when you think about the the social and environmental side of what we want to do. We, we really do put it all together. So Very cool. Well, no, I, this has been already very helpful because I think a lot of the narrative that goes around is the consumer wants something, um, you know, the food company mandates it and the farmers have to sort of scramble and figure it out. But but what I'm, you know, gathering from you is, is this kind of partnership between you and the farmers uh, to say that, hey, look, our consumers are asking for you know, more sustainable practices, more transparency, and fewer, more natural ingredients. How are we going to make this work? Do you ever run into it where it's kind of like, you know, the, the consumer saying this is what we want and you and you go to the, the farmers as kind of your partners in the supply chain and say, hey, here's what they're asking for. And the farmers kind of say, boy, I mean, I just, I just can't do it. Yeah. And I think, um, this is a great question, right? And this comes up a lot. And, and, and ultimately, you know, consumers are our main ingredient as, as their own race. Um, you know, they kind of make or break what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and they vote with, they vote with their dollar for the world they want. Right. And, and ultimately um, consumers definitely are more and more proactive about their health. They're, they want more natural foods. They want to know where their food is coming from. They want to know how their food is being made. Um, and, and they want to buy from brands they can trust. Right. And so they want all of that. Right. They want that transparency. They want to trust more. And, and I think that's a large part of why we've done what we have is by us going away from, you know, perhaps buying through milk cooperatives where we don't have the level of visibility to working directly with our producers is we create that transparency. It gives us confidence in the producers we work with. It allows us to hopefully create more trust with our consumers by making that link to the producer, you know, whether that's directly or at least that we know. Um, and, and so when they want those, when, when they look for, uh, let's, you know, if they want non-GMO or they want organic or they want conventional or whatever it is they want or they care about, it's for us to look at and say, it's our job to provide the choice to the consumer. Um, it's also our job to provide choices to our farmers, right? For them to choose the best production practice that fits their needs. And so for us, we have, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're the significant and organic, you know, we have a big footprint in non-GMO but we're also big in in conventional. And so we're able to offer those choices to our farmers for whatever system best meets their needs. Hmm. Where it all comes together though, is it's our responsibility to make sure that whatever we source and and whatever system you as a farmer choose or you as a consumer wants, it's our responsibility to make sure we do it in the most, you know, sustainable way or regenerative way or ethical way. And, And I think that's why we've invested so much into teams like the one that I get to lead is is for us to say what are the best practices right what are the what are the things we can do that can really um leave us with a better world and a better place and 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 really sustain our food system for the long run and so we want to provide choice and we are providing choice to our farmers and to our consumers um, but we're very much committed to and feel the responsibility of doing it in the most responsible manner so i, I think you you know i know it, you can have it all <laughs> if you do it right right and i'm sure that's kind of how you arrived on this soil health initiative, which I applaud you for, because I think soil health is kind of the, um, the, uh, unsung, um, I, I guess hero for lack of better term of, of sustainability without soil health, it's going to be really hard for us to be sustainable in any other capacity in the future. Is that something that's coming from the consumers? I mean, are, are the consumers starting to think about soil health or is that more along the lines of what you were just saying, which is, 
you know, you need to look at objectively what's going to be, what's the right thing to do. You know, soil is the foundation of our food system, right? I think what greater than 95% of all the food um, we consume either directly or indirectly is reliant on soil. So it, and, and again, no matter what, which production system you're in, soil health matters. I don't know that the consumer is there yet. Um, but I would firm, I believe they're getting there. Right. And when you think about the evolution of the consumer and the things that they're asking for and what they expect, um, you know, I, I think it, it matters and that's not unique to, to the known ways. You know, as we look across the, the food supply chain, whether it's, you know, packaged goods or whether it's, you know, uh, quick service restaurants or whatever it is, there's, you know, it's amazing how much interest there is in soil health right now, because I think we all recognize um, you know, creating resiliency in our food system, in our soils, right? And, and thinking about how we use less inputs, how we become, you know, we, we deal with climate change. Um, all of these things, you know, soil plays such a huge part of it and, and soil health just matters. And so I think it's part of the responsibility. Uh, but I do believe that it's in the next few years that um, given how much interest there is in this, that consumers will start to care more. Uh, today, it's, it's tough to make some of those connections. Um, but, but I, I, I do believe it, it becomes more, more important from a consumer standpoint in the future, but I think from, uh, just how you source and what we do today, it matters. And now just a quick word from our sustainability at scale series sponsor, Marone Bio Innovations. Hey, ever heard of Marone's Bio with Bite? Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O dot com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. Walk us through kind of how this soil health initiative works in terms of, uh, it sounds like you all as a company have decided this is important. We're going to allocate resources to it. Um, does that come in the way of incentives for, for producers along your supply chain or how does that exactly look in terms of when you invest in soil health, what does that look like? Sure. So, you know, so first, as I mentioned, right, we, because we already have, um, this kind of direct relationship with our dairies and, and now it's enabled us that connection with some of the crop growers, we have that network to start, um, our program, right. Or start our, our, our an initiative, and so what we've done is, you know, we've we've really put our stake in the ground by committing um, up to six million dollars over the next five years towards towards the research program, and 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 this is to support a, a soil health initiative. So really, over the next year and a half, um, we'll be we're, we're advancing this uh, by working with um, we we have 16 pilot farms across the United States, so not in just one area, but but really in the Midwest, um, kind of the high plains and high desert that we're we're looking at um, to start with. And we, we built what we kind of feel is the dream team of soil health. So, so working with partners in, in, at Ohio State, uh, Dr. Baton Lyle's lab, uh, Cornell University, and, and Dr. Van Ness's lab. Um, and then um, uh, the Eco Practices Group uh, to help us as we, we aggregate data and, and, and look through that. And so in the near term, it's about us um, doing the research and, and, and figuring out, you know, wh where are we starting from? What do we know today? And, and identifying through those partners, you know, what, where do we want to go from here? Or what, what's it going to take? We fully expect there'll be some upfront investment, 
Um, but, but until we kind of get done with our research, you know, the actual program or incentives, you know, we've yet to define. Um, but, but it is a long-term commitment. You know, we're, we're looking at five plus years forward to, to, to really be able to see, see big changes and, and get there. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the starting point. Okay. It's really interesting. And I, I think, you know, one thing as I was thinking about that program is it seems like you have kind of decided as a company, you're going to st- step up and take that burden. It doesn't, like you said, I don't know the consumer's really there yet where they're going to say, hey, we're going to buy this yogurt because they are building our, building healthier soils. Uh, ultimately, is that is that something where you think it will be a differentiator in the future? Or is it more just about, hey, we're going to have, you know, from a corporate uh, corporate responsibility standpoint, we're going to have the most sustainable supply chain possible? Yeah, so I, I think it has the potential to be a differentiator, um, but I think regardless of whether it, it ever becomes, um, you know, uh, something that, that you would recognize as a brand, or it's just part of the trust in the the, the company you source from, right? We're the we're the largest public benefit company today, um, and and we're we're looking at you know um, making the journey towards becoming a B corporation. So we're a little different in that Danone Wave isn't just about isn't just driven by shareholder value. Um, while that's part of it, uh, we also have an environmental and social uh, directive as well. Uh, so bigger purpose beyond, and this fits that. You know, this fits that very much so in terms of you know we need to leave um, we need to have a greater impact other than just you know how profitable are we, um, and and we really think this all fits together into that. So so whether it's uh, something that consumers say, hey, we're going to choose you in the future because you're focused on soil health or because it's just part of the, you know, what makes us to known wave, um, you know, we'll see. Um, but as we think about, um, you know, how we impact, you know, reduce, uh, improve our water cycle, right? How do we, you know, have a uh, sequester more carbon and, and help to hope, you know, potentially reverse climate change through agriculture, um, you know, those things are really relevant, right? And I think it fits um, kind of our, our purpose as a company. And I know you've used the term sustainable agriculture and regenerative agriculture. Uh, regenerative seems to be gaining uh, traction, at least in recent recent years or so. Um, can, can you explain kind of how you all define regenerative agriculture and how you're looking at that versus just more generally sustainable agriculture? Sure. Um, you know, um, so... We've we've actually chosen to join uh, the, the the carbon underground and and the carbon underground is is kind of a a, a group looking to uh, create a, a certification or a standard um, for for food that's grown in a regenerative way and and in the early stages of development we, you know we really think that this is critically important for the future of ag and and it and it really encompasses farming and grazing practices. Um, that, that among other things, um, may reverse climate change by um, rebuilding soil organic matter, uh, restoring degraded soil biodiversity, uh, and ultimately that results in, in, in both, you know, greater carbon drawdown and, and improving our water cycle. So, you know, it's about uh, really improving that, that organic matter and soil, improving biodiversity, um, and, and, you know, improving the greater water holding capacity in soils and in, in, in water, rather. Um, and, and all of those things. So it's not just sustaining where we are, but but really trying to regenerate soil and, and going beyond where we are. Great. Well, uh, yogurt has been, it seems, uh, you know, kind of on the front lines of um, the GMO debate in some ways. And I know you said that you have some products that are GMO verified and others that are, are uh, produced through a, a more, I guess you could call it conventional uh, supply chain. How are you all looking at that and how does that play into uh, the pledge? 
Yeah, so I think this is it's it's part of um, you know the transparency side, right? Uh, and our willingness to uh, we made the decision that we were going to label uh, the possibility of the presence or absence of uh, the possibility of having GMO ingredients, and and we really feel like our um, you know our 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 consumers care, right? I think the the non-GMO project verification is something that you know it's highly recognizable about consumers, and and they want to know. Um, so for us, you know, as, as part of this, it, it's, it's offering the non-GMO project verification is about choice. It's choice for the consumer. And, and again, for, for some of the farmers that we work with that are willing to grow it and, and work with us there, um, that, that's the piece of it. So I think non-GMO on its own is, is a choice. And then, again, as we look at all of the other initiatives around soil health and how we produce, um, you know, we want to make sure that no matter which practice, right, whether it's organic, non-GMO or conventional, that we're doing it in the, in the most sustainable way. Okay. And, and I know in the grocery store, usually, you know, something that's like certified organic usually commands a premium over, uh, over something that's not. What about, is that the same with non-GMO verified? Does non-GMO verified catch a premium or, or is there even a need for a premium if it's just, if it's just like a choice and how you produce it and a choice in which you'd prefer to buy or how does that part work? Are there incentives along the, the supply chain? Yeah, I, I think we, you know, I don't think we usually just look at the non-GMO at home. We try to look at everything we offer is the, what's the full value package of what you're offering and what are consumers willing to pay for it. So, you know, I don't think we don't tend to just look at non-GMO as, as the thing, right, to say, here's a product. And now with non-GMO, it's 20 percent more. Mm-hmm. But rather, it's what's the full value package of what we're offering and, and every product's different. So I think it, it really comes down to um, it's recognizable from a consumer and, and given the attributes of the product, is that something that they, you know, they're willing to pay for and that they, they want. So uh, it can be a differentiator, but it can be a differentiator in many different ways, not always just price. Okay. I think we should also mention for, for those uh, kind of learning about this stuff for the first time, just to clarify, when we talk about non-GMO certified dairy products, we're talking about the feed that the cattle eat either being from GMO produced grains or, or not correct or, or forages or not. That's correct. So to meet the non-GMO project verification, um, those, those cows need to be fed uh, feed from a non-GMO uh, project verified source. So the biggest things being, you know, uh, converting our, if you think about the, what goes into it, into dairy feed, um, you know, it, it's forage. So things like um, your hay or alfalfa, uh, corn silage, right? A whole plant uh, uh, are the, the biggest, you know, ingredients in our, our forage. And then our grains, right? So whether it's corn or soybean meal or canola meal, things like that. And so for us, it's about creating that supply or identifying that supply of, of non-GMO uh, corn, soy, and, and alfalfa uh, that would go into those dairy rations um, to, to, to be able to deliver on this. And if there is somebody in dairy production listening and, and they think, boy, that, you know, that partnership idea of sort of a cost plus model sounds pretty attractive, especially right now. Uh, are there is, is there a way they could get onboarded into your program or is it kind of how does that part work? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think we're always we're always looking to identify producers that may fit uh, where we are. And, and as our business grows, you know, who, who, who are those potential candidates? Um, you know, I think today, um, you know, uh, we, we, we look for milk that's around our milk sheds. So kind of where our, our, our manufacturing plants are. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think while, while we, we, 
we don't have a lot of room to take on additional producers at this point in time. You know, I think as, as we grow, we're always exploring, you know, uh, how to bring additional farmers into the, into the model. I wish we could take them a lot more given the environment, but, uh, you know, I think we're we've already kind of in balance with our supplies today. Okay, and you had said something that that sparked another question um, about when you were talking regenerative agriculture. Are you all, as a company, looking into the pasture raised or or hundred percent grass fed that sort of that sort of offering, or is that just supply chain wise, logistically a little bit too difficult? We've had a couple people on the show in the past talking about. Um, you know, grass-fed and mob grazing and alternative multi-paddock uh, grazing and that sort of thing. Is that something that you all are looking for as a possibility for your supply chain in the future? Yes, it's for sure an interest. Um, and, and through our, um, actually through our Horizon Organic uh, brands, um, we actually do offer a, a grass, 100% grass-fed uh, milk. It's, it's a fairly new launch, um, but we do have a, a, we do offer that today. And so we actually are also um, looking to be a pilot as part of the regenerative organic uh, certificate alliance, and and that would be one of the the pilot programs we're looking at. So, um, you know how we graze the mob grazing piece, um, the grass based. You know for sure this is a huge area of of um, you know consumer demand and interest, and 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 we are there today, and we're looking at how we can continue to support that and and what does you know the regenerative organic side of this look like as, as being potentially part of that initiative interesting yeah and I, I you know on, on the food side I'm always sort of scratching my head and trying to figure out what is a you know what is a trend or or a fad and what is sort of a, a zeitgeist that's actually changing you know the way consumers are going to to eat in the future as you look you know 10 years from now, uh, how do you anticipate your supply chain looking differently than maybe it does today? Yeah, and I think uh, as I think about kind of first looking back, um, you know, 10 years ago, all of, like I, I think I mentioned, all of our milk we sourced directly through milk cooperatives, and and we had no visibility to our farmers. Um, you know, six years ago we started sourcing directly, and we started offering different pricing models, and we've really invested in um, the team of people that source milk and, and now in feed. And so that's been a real evolution for us. And, and so as I look towards the next 10 years, um, you know, I think us continuing to go further upstream and, and, and really know, uh, have that level of transparency with um, so many more of our ingredients, right. And, and our feed supplies and all of that. So knowing the growers, knowing, um, you know, the, the suppliers better and, and, and it is complex and it takes time, but I think the more visibility we have and the more relationships we have and the more partnerships we can create, you know, the, the, the greater the ability for us to really influence our, and, and be agile and nimble and, and truly differentiate our supply chain and then create real value, right. For our consumers, for our farmers and for us in the process, you know, we, that, that, that's it. Right. So I see us going a whole lot deeper because, you know, consumers aren't backing away from their desire to know more. Hmm. Right. And, and I think, you've got to create transparency if you want to create trust. And I think the brands that are really going to you know, thrive in the future have to create trust with their consumers. And for us, that's, it's all about transparency and it's all about relationships and it's all about those partnerships with our farmers. So, you know, I think we're going to go a lot deeper. Um, I don't see us backing away from that. Um, so it'll be a, it'll be a fun and exciting journey over the next 10 years, I think. 
Absolutely. Well, Ryan, this has been a treat. I mean, this is so fascinating. I think you have a really interesting job and you stand at, at the intersection of a lot of issues related to food and agriculture. And this has been a lot of fun to, to hear more about your perspective on both the consumer and uh, the farmer, as well as trying to connect the two with a really complicated supply chain. So thanks for taking the time for being on the show. Oh, thanks so much for, uh, for giving us the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Uh, this is it's great fun. Really hope you enjoyed that interview with Ryan Soroli of Danone North America. I uh, find that really fascinating how they kind of balance their relationships with their producer with, of course, the demands of, of their consumer. So I hope you enjoyed that. If there is something that you wish I would have asked Ryan that I didn't get a chance to, uh, hit me up on SpeakPipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com forward slash future of ag. You could just leave a short message there. I think they give you two minutes, maybe. Introduce yourself and tell me the one question you wish I would have asked Ryan. I will try to get that information from him back on a future episode of this podcast. And I hope you're enjoying this series on sustainability at scale. Big thank you to Marone Bio Innovations for allowing this to be possible. Also, would love for you to let me know what topics you want to make sure we explore as part of the Sustainability at Scale series. We're going to do 12 total episodes. This was episode three. So if you're hearing this in May or June of 2018, you still probably have time to get your topic heard on the show. So let me know what you care about when it comes to sustainability, either on Twitter at Tim Hamrich or by email, tim at aggrad.com. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.